morning's scripture reading is from Matthew 22, verse 19 through 21. Show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Missed you last week. Glad we could be together today. Although uh, the boys enjoyed the snow, and I'm sure a lot of you young people really much, uh, really enjoyed the snow, and maybe even some of you adults enjoyed the snow. Uh, It was fun to get out in it and to play, but the timing this time was no good. I hate for that to happen on a Sunday, and I know that you do as well. I want us to think this morning about this context that Brother Kyle has just read for us in Matthew chapter 22. If the Lord wills, this Saturday, Joe Biden will be sworn in as the 46th President of the United States. It's on your mind. It's on my mind. It is something that we give thought to, something that is coming up and it looks like is going to happen. The United States finds itself uh, more divided, I suppose, than I've ever seen it before, and maybe that's true of you as well. And so as a Christian approaches these kinds of things that are happening, what should our thinking be? What kinds of thoughts should we have? And so this morning I want us to consider for a few moments this particular context, but let me step out of it for just a moment and let us just have some introductory type of thinking. I want you to consider this thought with me as we begin to think about it, and that is that Jesus Christ, while He walked this earth and now as He reigns from heaven, He has a way and had a way of bringing people together. Now, this can happen in a very positive sense. It did while he lived on earth, and it continues to happen today. And you see some of those examples on the screen behind me. The twelve apostles consisted of one being a zealot, one very much anti-Roman government, if you will, one very much uh, in favor of the Jewish government, consisted of a zealot in Simon as well as a tax collector in Matthew. Now, I know that you know that, but that is a dynamic that Jesus really was able to bring together and make work. I'm telling you, not everybody could have done it. But Jesus was able to do that. He was able to bring these two together and help them to work together in a very positive way. But still today, we, we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse, for example, the fact that Jesus now is continuing to reconcile sinners together with God. And we need to think about what Jesus is able to do there in bringing people together. Here are those of us who have committed sin and gone against God and been separated from God by our sin. Jesus died so that we can now be reconciled back together with God. We need to think about what Jesus does in bringing people together. The Bible tells us that Jesus is able to make peace in Ephesians chapter 2 between the Jew and the Gentile, that He tore down the middle wall of separation. And now, not only is He able to make peace between Jews and Gentiles, but ultimately, He's able to make peace between all of us and God. He reconciles us together with God. He is able to make peace, once again, between us as sinners and God. He restores relationships in a spiritual sense. 
You remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul addresses the, the man who had taken his father's wife and was living in that adulterous uh, and fornicative uh, situation. And they, he told the Christians in, in Corinth, he said, this isn't good that you haven't withdrawn yourself from this brother. He said, you're allowing him to continue in that sinful situation and you've not withdrawn yourself from that situation. And so he, he's begging them to do so. And when he writes in 2 Corinthians, it appears that they had done that. That they had, in fact, withdrawn fellowship from the one who was in sin. And now in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he is saying that you need to now restore that relationship. That that one had repented of his sin. And now, he says, you need to welcome him back. Jesus has a way of positively bringing people together. But Jesus also has a way of negatively bringing people together. And that's exactly what we find in Matthew chapter 22. In Matthew chapter 22, two people are coming together who normally would not have been coming together. You see, in in Matthew chapter 22, and you've got the example also on the screen, of course, of Herod and Pilate, and the very day of Jesus' crucifixion, the Bible says that those two became friends. All right, so Jesus has a way of negatively bringing people together. But in Matthew chapter 22... I want you to consider with me what's going on. Let's begin reading in verse number 15. Kyle dropped down to verse 19. I want to back up to verse 15. And the Bible says, The Pharisees went and they plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. So you have the Pharisees who are plotting against him and they're wanting to entangle him. And the Pharisees, in verse 16, sent to him their disciples with the Herodians. Now, did you know that the Pharisees had disciples? This is an indication for us very clearly that the Pharisees had followers. The Pharisees had those who were really not Pharisees, but they were followers of them. And they come to Jesus along with the Herodians. Now, again, you've got to stop and pause and appreciate who exactly has come together here to entangle Jesus. I don't want to belabor this point, but this is pretty amazing. You have Pharisees who were rulers of the Jews, so to speak, They were very much higher up. They knew the law, and people looked to them as an authority within the Jews. And then you have these Herodians who were very much pro-Roman government. So you have the Jews, the Pharisees, very much anti-Roman government. And then you have the Herodians who were very much pro-Roman government. I'm telling you that these two groups of people normally would have nothing to do with each other. But when it came to Jesus and entrapping Him, they were very much together. They were common in their thinking that they needed to get rid of Jesus. That Jesus was a threat to them. That they didn't like Jesus. And so they're going to entangle Him in His talk. I'm just telling you, this is the context that we find this happening. And so they come to Jesus in verse number 16 and they say, Teacher, we know that you are true. We know that you teach the way of God in truth and you don't care about anyone for you do not regard the person of men. Again, I'm just setting this up, but I want you to see the situation. Here are these two groups who normally would be antagonistic against one another coming together for their common goal of trying to get rid of Jesus. And they come together and now they have these great flattering words. Jesus, we know that you are true. We know that you speak the way of God in truth. We know that you don't really regard the face of an individual, that you're not so interested in what you can get 
from somebody, but you're going to be true and honest and you're just going to say whatever needs to be said all the time. Can I ask you a question? Are any of those things a lie? Are any of those things false? Is Jesus truth? Yes. John 14 and verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Did Jesus speak only what was true? Yes. He is, his word is truth. John 17 and verse 17. Did Jesus uh, have a personal preference toward anyone? Or was he looking out for the best interests of everyone? Brethren and friends, God does not show partiality. Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 36. And so Jesus was true. He spoke truth and he showed no partiality. What they say here about Jesus is right. But they didn't believe it. They were just flattering him. You need to believe it. They didn't. And so I go on to the next verse. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? The very next verse says that Jesus perceived their wickedness. That's why we know that they didn't believe anything that they had just said about him. He perceived their wickedness and says, why do you test me? And then he calls them hypocrites. This is the question that they ask. Is it lawful and right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? This is a simple yes or no question. I know this isn't the first time that you've read this. I know this isn't the first time you've given it thought, but we have to think about it. If Jesus answers yes, it is lawful and right to pay taxes to Caesar. He has just upset all of the Pharisees and all of the Jews who are very much against Roman government and rule. All right. So he says yes, he's upset this half of people. If he says, no, it is not lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, well, now he's upset the Herodians and all of the Roman government. And so if he answers one way, he's got all the Jews against him. If he answers the other way, he's got all the Romans against him. And either way, he's got people against him and they win. That's what they think. That's where they are, right? That's why they ask the question. A loaded question is what they're asking. In their minds, they've got him trapped and there's absolutely nothing that he can do. If he answers yes, he upsets one group, he answers no, another one. And so, as Brother Kyle read for us a moment ago, here is his response. Show me a denarius. Show me a, a denarius, the coin that was used to pay taxes to Caesar. Now, you, you might think this is a pretty sweet deal, but taxes in those day and time, this was the equivalent, really, of what we might call income tax. And it really was the equivalent of about one day's wage. Now, if you could just pay one day's wage worth of taxes, I think we'd say, sign me up. I'm all for it. But that's really the equivalent of what they were talking about. But this was a tax that was paid to Rome. The amount really is irrelevant as to the principle behind it. We're paying taxes to Rome. And we can't stand Rome. We want to get rid of Rome. We don't want to be under their government. We want somebody to come and deliver us from their government. But Jesus says, bring me a denarius. And he says, whose image and inscription is this? They say, that's Caesar's. And he says those words that we know. Render to Caesar, therefore, the things that are Caesar's, and to God's the things that are God. Now, this is what I want you to understand. Let's think about this. And let's put it in context of our day and time. And I want you to think about what Jesus was saying and I hope that this will help us as we approach uh, this time of uncertainty in our country. 
I want us as Christians to be thinking how the, the Bible would tell us how God would want us to be thinking. And this is what I want to start with. Being a follower of God, brethren and friends, should naturally lead us as Christians to be the very best citizens a country can have. Whether you're living in the United States or any other country in the world, if you're a Christian, that should naturally lead you to be the very best citizen of that country. Because we're Christians. Because we serve God. Because we're elevating ourselves above man's law to God's law, we should be the very best citizens that a country has. And I ask you a series of questions for your consideration. Does it seem right as a Christian to accept the advantage of living in a country with an orderly government and not be willing to pay anything for that? Does that seem right? You say, I don't know if we're so orderly anymore. Well, I'm telling you, we still have three distinctive branches of government. It's the greatest constitution ever written. And we live in what we would consider now to be an orderly government. Wouldn't it be right that we should pay something for uh, living in that kind of system? Does it seem right to you to accept the advantage of the safety and security that a government provides and be unwilling to pay something for that? Does it seem right to you to accept all of those advantages? Does it seem right to you that we could drive on roads that the government has paid for, roads that government has built, and not pay something for that? Does that seem right? Does it seem right to take advantages of other services offered by our government and be unwilling to pay anything for it? Are we as Christians to be those who are just walking about with our hands out and expecting others to take care of us? Does that sound like what you read in your Bible? It doesn't read like mine either. And I want you to think about that. We are not to be those as God's people who are looking out for others or expecting others to meet all of our needs. Now, we're to bear one another's burdens and we're to fulfill the law of Christ in doing so. We're to be those who are going about and seeking ways that we can help others. And and certainly there are occasions where we're going to need help. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about walking around and demanding that government give us certain things and us be unwilling to pay for them. Jesus says... In that word render, you have the idea of paying back. Render to Caesar. Pay back. That implies something. That implies that you owe Caesar something. If you have to pay back, you owe Caesar something. Now think about it. That's what Jesus says. So I'm asking this question next. What do I, as a Christian, what do I owe Caesar? The government. What do I owe? Well, I'll tell you. The Bible is pretty clear in certain areas. And there is much more that we could say. But let's just start with this. Turn in your Bibles over to 1 Peter. And here it is summed up in a way that we can understand. And I would submit to you, first of all, that as a Christian, I owe the government my honor. And I owe the government my submission. Because the Bible says so. Not because Adam does. But listen to what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 13. Peter is writing to Christians and he says, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme 
or to governors, as to those who are sent by Him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, listen, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Listen, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. The king, in this instance, in our lifetimes, would be the government, right? Honor them. Honor those who lead. Honor the laws that you find yourself under. And be submissive. And be submissive. Now there's another point to this sermon that we're going to make in just a moment. But I want you to understand that so far as we can as Christians... We have the responsibility given to us by God. This is the will of God that you submit. Now, how far do you take it, Adam? I mean, if they come for my guns, what am I going to do? I'm just offering this for your thought. Do you know you can go to heaven without owning a firearm? I know that's not popular out here in West Texas, but did you know that's possible? To go to heaven without owning a firearm? I mean, these are things I think we need to be thinking about and we need to be open about and we need to be discussing and talking about. What happens? What happens if they come and knock on the door and they say, I need them? What are you going to do? Submission to the government is something to give thought to, brethren. Submission. Does God say you have to own a firearm in order to go to heaven? He doesn't. But this is something that we need to be talking about because I don't know what's in the future and neither do you. But we need to be thinking about it. What does God say? I need to honor and submit. What do I owe Caesar? I owe him my money in the form of taxes. You know that's true. In Romans chapter 13, we didn't talk about this because Romans 13 makes it very clear, doesn't it? It makes it very clear that we owe taxes, and, and again, we don't live in this country for free. Freedom doesn't come free, they say, and, and guess what? We, we have to pay. What else do I owe Caesar? Well, you turn back in the page of your New Testament to 1 Timothy chapter 2, and again, you look at these verses, and I know that you know them, but this is what the Bible says. I owe Caesar as a Christian. I owe him my prayers. I owe the government and those in, in leaders, leadership responsibilities. I owe them my prayers. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, Paul says, listen, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. What am I asking God to do? I'm asking that we can continue to worship as we are this morning without fear of government interference. I'm begging God as we pray that we can continue to lead a quiet and peaceable life, that we can continue to take the gospel and we can share it with our neighbors and friends, that it is all right for us to own and have a Bible in our home and we can take that openly, share it with others. Pray that prayer that it never gets to a point where it's against man's law to do that. Because guess what? God says that's our responsibility as Christians and we're going to do that. Pray that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. But brethren and friends, this is what I really want to to say to you, is that Jesus says there are certain things that we do as we render to Caesar. 
There are certain things that we render to Caesar, that we owe to Caesar, that we pay back to Caesar. And I've given you some examples here uh, on this list. But this is very important. You do not render to Caesar the things that belong to God. Caesar, the government, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, they didn't die for you. They're not going to save you. They're not going to save me. You can be a citizen of another country other than the United States and go to heaven. None of those governments, none of those presidents, none of those kings, none of those queens, none of them died for you. We need to be careful that we don't render to Caesar the things that belong to God. And so I ask you this question. What do I owe God? You know, it's interesting what Jesus does in Matthew chapter 22. And he says, bring me a denarius. And just a side note, he didn't have one on his person. I don't think Jesus was one who carried a lot of money around with him. You don't get that impression at all, do you? And he didn't just pull one out of his pocket and say, look at this. Whose who's image is on this? And he didn't do that. He said, I need you to bring me one. Somebody bring me a denarius. And, and he wants them to, to all be around. And you kind of get the scene, don't you? That, that he, he's looking at all of these people. Bring me a denarius. He gets everybody's attention. And all of a sudden, they bring this denarius into the, into the circle where Jesus is. And he says, all right. Now, whose image is on the coin? Whose image is on the coin, brethren? He said, that's Caesar's image. If you want to see Caesar's image, where do you look? You look at a coin. But if you want to see God's image, where do you look? Try the mirror. Try looking in the mirror. Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28. And God made man in His image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. You want to see God's image? Look in the mirror. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. He's got this physical uh, responsibility and and you have responsibility. He's got this authority and, and you give him what belongs to him. Don't you give him what belongs to God. You. You belong to God. You belong to God. Now think about it. Man is made in the image of God. And you turn over to those words of Paul in Colossians. Have you already gone there? In Colossians chapter 3, I'm just reminding you what Paul says to these Christians in Colossae. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 9, He says, do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. So here he's talking to Christians. You have put off the old man with his deeds in baptism. Now you are saved. You are a Christian. And you've put on a new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, sickening, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. You as a Christian have been made in the image of Christ. Don't give Caesar what belongs to God. Render to God the things that are God's. I think too often when we look at Matthew 22, we just 
we stop. We, we rent, don't render to, see, or render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And we just talk about that side of it. But God, Jesus goes on and he says, but you have this other responsibility, this greater responsibility to render to God the things that are God's. And so I ask the question then, what do I owe God? If, if I am made in the image of God, if I have been renewed in the image of God as a Christian, what do I owe Him? If He says that I am to render or pay back, what am I to owe God? I think this is important for us to examine for a few minutes. And I'm telling you that this list, well, this list is a good one. I mean, then this list is a long one. There is a lot that we could say that we need to give back to God. But let me give you just a few things to start your list, and then you can continue. Turn over to the book of Psalms. And I want you to go with me to Psalm 145, and I just want you to see the wonderful way that that the book of Psalms ends. And these last few Psalms and what they have to say in offering our praise to God. And just let this sink into your ears. I, I want you to, maybe I've said something, I don't mean to upset you with anything that I've said to this point, but I, I want you to try to put that aside. I want you to think about this, what I'm trying to tell us. That as a Christian, this is what I owe God. This is what the Bible says. In Psalm 145, verse 1. I will extol you, my God, O King, who's the one in authority of me, over me as a Christian? It's God. He is my King. I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and His greatness is unsearchable. I will praise Him every day, the psalmist says. That's what I owe Him. 146, Psalm 146, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Are you paying that to God? Now, just by way of side note, look at the next verse, verse 3, in Psalm 146. Do not put your trust in princes nor in the son of a man in whom there is no help. His spirit departs. He returns to his earth. In that very day, his plans perish. So here you have God being worthy of all of our praise versus putting your trust in any man. What's going to happen? That man's going to die and all of his plans are going to go with him. You don't owe that man your praise. You owe God your praise. Oh, the world is is collapsing because Donald Trump isn't going to be in the White House for the next four years. God's still on the throne. He's still on the throne. And He is worthy of our praise. And that's the way it is. Now, Psalm 147. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and praise is beautiful. Listen, Psalm 148, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him all His angels. Praise Him all His hosts. Praise Him sun and moon. Praise Him all you stars of light. Praise Him in the heaven of heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. He also established them forever and ever. He made a decree which shall not pass away. 
God is worthy of our praise. Psalm 149, praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song in His praise in the assembly of the saints. Do you hear it? It's repeated over and over, isn't it? What do I owe God? I owe Him my praise. How did the Psalms end? The very last verse, Psalm 150, verse 6. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's what I owe Him. Because it is God who spoke. And all this came into being. It is God who said, From the dust of the earth, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. And He breathed into His nostrils the breath of life. There's no one in Washington, D.C. who can do that. God did that. Render to God praise that is due Him. What will I render to God? I, will, I owe Him my gratitude. Brother Terry read in Psalm 107, Give Him thanks in all of these different ways. Try on Psalm 100 and verse number 4. Psalm 100 and verse number 4. Enter into His gates with what? With thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him and bless His name. In everything, give thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 That's what I owe God. I owe Him my thanks. I owe Him my gratitude. Because every good thing that I enjoy in this life is directly from Him. And I owe Him my thanks. What do I owe God? I owe Him as a Christian my complete love. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your mind. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22. I love Him with my complete being, with my mind, with my thinking, with my emotions, with my actions. Everything that I'm about, I owe God nothing but my complete devotion and love. Are you rendering that to God? That's what He's due. That's what I owe Him. That's what I need to be about giving Him. What do we render to God? Our service. I'm telling you, there's so much more we could say on each of these points, and there are so many more that we could make. You start your list, and you think about what you owe God. I owe Him my service. I go back to the book of Colossians, and I want you to see this in pages of your Bible. In Colossians chapter 3, and think about what Paul says here again to Christians. But he says to Christians in Colossians 3 in verse number 23, that whatever you do, you do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. You don't serve anybody sitting in the White House. You, so far as, as the service that you owe God... There's no one again who did anything for you that God has done. And we need to make sure that our allegiance is clear. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You'll serve me. That you will put my will first and foremost in your life. That you will understand that you are first and foremost not a citizen of any country in this world, but as a Christian, you are a citizen of the heavenly country. That is where we're going. And so I don't want to get too attached to things in this life. I ask God often, please, 
please don't let me get so attached to anything in this world that it would separate me from my love for you. Don't let me get too attached to anything here that it will keep me from going to be with you. Don't let me get so caught up in things here that I lose perspective of a bigger picture. Help me, God, to put you first in all aspects of my life. I'm concerned. You're concerned. I have young children. You have young children. You have grandchildren. And you're concerned. You're concerned about where they're going to grow up and the the world that they're going to grow up in. I'm telling you, I'm assuring you that I've got all the same concerns that you do. But I will not. God help me. Render to Caesar what, what belongs to God. I will put my trust in Him. I will understand He sits on the throne. And He, in the end, has given me the ability to be with Him forever. And I want to keep that perspective always in my mind. That my citizenship is not in this world. We really are just passing through. And we can go on to be with Him. And so as I close tonight, or this morning, I, I want you to survey the cross with me. And I want you to think about this perspective. I think it's important. The one who is saying, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's, I think it is important for us to survey the cross upon which He would die. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. You think about the verse that says, See from His head, His hands, His feet. Sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? You think about the verses of that song and surveying the cross upon which Jesus died. I don't want to render to Caesar what belongs to God. I want to render to God what belongs to God. And I want to think about sorrow and love flowing mingled down from my Savior's head, hands, feet, and side. And then I want to think about that verse that says, Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine demands what? My soul, my life, my all. Render to God what belongs to God. My soul, my life, my all. We're going to escape this life. And we're going to spend eternity in one of two places. And praise God that He has given us the ability to be with Him. Let us not get so attached to anything in this life that it would separate us from our love for Him. Because there's nothing that will separate His love from me. And so I ask you this morning, are you a Christian?
Are you prepared when this life is over to go and meet the Lord? Are you prepared to stand in His presence as one who has obeyed the commands that He has given in order to be saved? Are you ready to to go to be with Him? Have you given your life to Him? Well, this morning, if you've not, then this is your opportunity to do just that. Do you believe Jesus Christ to be the Son of God? Are you willing to respond in obedience to His commands? Are you ready this morning to confess your faith in Him as the Son of God with a willingness to repent of sin in your life and to be immersed in the waters of baptism, there meeting His precious blood and having your sins washed away? You can respond and be made right with Him today. As a Christian, are you rendering yourself to God? Have you given yourself to Him or has the devil come in and taken some of you back? This morning, if you have sin in your life that you need to repent of and you'd like to do so in a public way, we stand ready to help you. If there is something in your life that you need the prayers of your brethren for, this is an opportunity for you to respond and to ask for those prayers. If we can help you in any way, then 